Well, this morning we will be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. You can find us on page 877 in the Pew Bible. Be reading from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted and all, God, and all God's people said, the reading of His Word, Amen. <laughs> we are grateful for the Word of God and what it communicates to us. But I do have two great concerns in, in, uh, about this parable for us today. The, the uh, Two obstacles that could prevent us from, uh, from receiving the truth of Jesus' words. The first obstacle would be our familiarity with this parable. This is one of my favorite parables in the Gospels. It may be one of your favorite parables, right? Uh, and so, uh, and, and, and that's kind of an issue because uh, we like this parable. It, it doesn't bother us, but it actually should bother us a little bit. This may reveal that we don't quite understand the meaning of this parable, of what it's, of what it's actually trying to communicate. Uh, and secondly, in connection with this, uh, we, we may not understand it uh, truly because we don't quite understand the characters involved in the parable. Uh, and so, we, you know, we have been taught, conditioned in the church, and, and not, um, you know, and understandably so, uh, that we are not supposed to like Pharisees. And, and, and tax collectors, while they may have done some bad things, we kind of root for them because they're the underdogs, they're the outcasts. It's a very American thing to root for the under, underdog and the outcasts, right? And so, and so that's when we hear this parable, we instinctively uh, it's, we, we get mad at the Pharisee and our sympathies lie with the tax collector. But these things actually prevent us from feeling the sting of this parable. And so I'm going to retell the parable to you. I'm going to reinterpret the parable. And, and I'm going to entitle it, The Parable of the Presbyterian Elder and the Sleazy Used Car Salesman. <laughs> so one Wednesday evening, two men went to a prayer meeting at church. One was a Presbyterian elder, and the other was a sleazy used car salesman. I mean sleazy. Look, I buy my cars used, but you know the type. All right, these are the kind of car lots that prey on the poor, and they jack up high interest rates so that way they can get somebody and they can get squeeze some payments out of them before they repo the car and they go off to some other sucker. All right, the in-house financing and all that. Okay, uh, that's that kind of sleazy used car salesman. 
And, uh, you know, after the devotion uh, for the prayer meeting, uh, to which the Presbyterian elder contributed some very significant and scholarly insights, revealing to everyone in the room that he was well-read on the topic. Uh, he, prayed, uh, during the gr- he prayed aloud during the group prayer time, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men. That I'm not like the thieves who, who, re- who, you know, who wreck havoc in the city, who corrupt and wicked politicians on the city council. That, that I'm not sexually immoral like so many people today, or even like this used car salesman here. But by the grace of God go I. I read my Bible daily. I go to both services. I come to the prayer meeting, obviously, and, and, and I go to Sunday school. I even teach Sunday school. I give more than 10% to the church, and I even contribute on top of that to the missions fund. Thank you, Lord, for making me what I am. But the used car salesman sitting at the back of the room couldn't even lift his eyes up. He was filled with anguish and guilt over the pain that he had caused others due to his underhanded dealings. He was filled with anguish because he knew his sin angered God and was worthy of wrath. And so he just sat there, beating his chest and weeping. God, forgive me. I am a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Stings a bit more. Get a little personal. It's like, why you got to go there, pastor? All right, let's just gang up on the Pharisees this morning. That's fun. But in verse 9, who does Luke say Jesus is addressing? Not tax collectors. Not sleazy used car salesmen. He is addressing those who trust in themselves that they're righteous. He's talking to Pharisees. He's talking to Presbyterians. Baptists, Methodists. We're Presbyterian church, so we're talking about Presbyterians. He's talking to moral church folk. But not just them. Jesus is talking to all who trust in themselves. Who look to themselves and say, but based on my life, I know that I am righteous and God is on my team. And especially who not only do that, but then also treat others with contempt. And what does Jesus have to say to us? Well, this parable is meant to be a warning that leads religious, legalistic, moral people to redemption in the mercy of God. In these two men, Jesus presents the the pictures, uh, first of of self-righteousness that deceives, and then of the absolute dependence that redeems. And we're going to look at each one of those this morning. So first, in verses 9 to 12, in the the Pharisee, we have the self-righteousness that deceives us. And we need to define the problem here. And there's also an outline for the sermon on the back of your bulletin. But we need to define the problem here. And the problem here is not poor form in prayer or or someone just being really rude at church to, to a visitor. The problem is resting God's acceptance of myself 
upon the good works in my life rather than trusting only in the mercy of God for my salvation. The problem here, and the problem is self-righteousness. And the dangerous thing about self-righteousness is that it is incredibly deceptive. John Calvin wrote about this, uh, about this in, in, in his commentary on this section. He says, No disease is more dangerous than arrogance. And yet all have it deeply fixed in the marrow of their bones that it can scarcely be removed by any remedy. By nature, it's in the marrow of our bones, this arrogance, this penchant towards self-righteousness. So what do we do? Well, thankfully, Jesus gives us two signs that we are engaging in self-deceptive, self-righteousness. And so so first, he says, you know, when we think that God loves us because we do the religious good things, that's your first sign. And And secondly, when we despise others who do even wicked things in order to exalt ourselves, that's the second sign. So we'll take a look at each one of those. So first, the first sign is trusting in ourselves and trusting in our own righteousness. The Pharisee adopts what is considered a normal prayer posture uh, for Jewish people, which was to stand uh, in prayer with hands lifted and eyes towards heaven, which is kind of interesting because we do the exact opposite. Right, it's like it's like proper prayer position for Protestants is usually head bowed. Right, we go the exact opposite direction, but for different reasons. And so, uh, and and so, but the standard position for prayer was this: looking up to heaven with hands and eyes lifted. And uh, and and so the uh, the Pharisee lists off the things that he's not, and I, and I think we can actually believe him. We can take his word on it that he's not an extortioner. He's not unjust. He's not an adulterer. He's not a scam artist. Here is a good religious man. You want this guy as as your neighbor. He keeps his property cared for. He returns your tools on time. He keeps the laws. He pays the taxes. You could have him watch your kids. You could have him look over your property while you go on vacation. He's not going to steal anything. I mean, this is the guy, this is a guy that you like in your neighborhood. Yeah, he's a little judgy. You know, it's a little judgy, but he's, at least he's not going to steal your stuff, right? You can trust him. And, uh, and, and as far as religion goes, this guy goes way beyond what's required. The, the law only required one fast per year for the Jewish people, and that was at the Day of Atonement. But this guy fasts twice a week, and not just like he fasts from like, Watching Netflix or something like, or or fast from eating chocolate. Like he 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 he, he, he you know it's like serious fasting is you know water only fasting. Uh uh-uh, uh, not if you want to do hardcore. Hardcore fasting is no food, no drink, and he does it twice a week, right? Two times a week, Mondays and Thursdays. Now, does you know? Now, Mondays and Thursdays also happen to be the market days when everybody can see and know that he's fasting. But that's beside the point, right? He does it twice a week. Further, the law didn't require a tithe on everything that you get. 
It did have a variety of tithes, but not on every single thing you get. He says, I tithe on everything. So which means that he gives not 10%, but probably somewhere between 20 and 30% of his income uh, um, in, in a variety of methods through, through money or through like actually giving agriculture or, or animals. Uh, that, but probably close to between 20 and 30% of his income he gives to uh, the temple. And on top of that, he gives thanks to God that he does all this stuff. Isn't he a humble guy? This is why self-righteousness is so insidious. It dresses up in all the right clothes to sneak into the party. To understand the problem here, we need to consider the logic of the Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2. In chapter 2 in Ephesians, Paul begins by outlining that we are establishing the fact that we are dead, all of us, in our trespasses. Dead. What do dead people do? Nothing. They lie there. They're dead. Right? They can't do anything. But, but we who were dead in our trespasses have been made alive in Christ, in the mercy and love of God, by faith, and thus we now belong to the Lord. And after we have been made alive, we were once dead, now we're alive in Christ, in the love of God. After that, we are now considered the workmanship of God to do good works that God planned in advance for us to do. But notice, do the good works come prior to being made alive or after? After, right? And so we do good works because God... In His mercy has remade us in Christ. Indeed, He has made us alive in Jesus by faith. Faith that Paul says itself is the gift of God. But the Pharisee logic here says that God made us so that we are doing these good works and He loves us and considers us righteous because of those good works that we're doing. In other words... The Pharisee is not giving God thanks for his mercy, but for the, for the fact that God made him righteous by his own works. That's what he's thanking God for. His prayers, one commentator uh, said, is so laden with self-congratulation it can hardly get off the ground. The point is that he believes that he belongs to God, that he is approved of by God, because of the good things that he does, as opposed to the bare mercy of God. Calvin, again, he was writing on this, and he said that even though a man may give thanks to God, like the Pharisee here, if he imagines the righteousness of of, of those works are the cause of his salvation if he rests upon the righteousness of his works as the cause of his salvation, he is condemned for wicked arrogance. Matthew Henry uh, also, he says, there, he says, looking at the prayer of the Pharisee, he says, there's not a word of prayer in anything this guy says. He went up to the temple to pray, but apparently forgot to pray when he got there. He's so full of himself and his own goodness that he, didn't, that he, that he, didn't real, that he apparently doesn't think he needs anything. Doesn't need God to do anything. Doesn't need any help. Just needs to say, thanks God. I've got everything handled. Thanks to you. He did not think it was worth asking for the favor or the grace of God. Calvin, one more time here, wrote, The only hope of the godly is to take themselves to the mercy of God alone. 
and to rest their salvation on prayer for forgiveness. And so we need to ask ourselves, do I think God loves me because I'm a good person or because I do good things, because I go to church, because I give to the work of the church, because of of any variety of things? How would God regard you if you didn't do those things? Or if God opened your eyes and you saw that all those good things that you do are actually corrupt and riddled with sin? Sign number one that we are deceiving ourselves with self-righteousness is that we look to the, our own good works as to esti- and as our confidence that God loves us and accepts us. The second sign is that we despise others in order to exalt ourselves. Luke describes the Pharisee here uh, as, um, as treating others with contempt. That's what he says in verse 9, why Jesus spoke this parable to those who treat others with contempt. That word contempt means to despise. It means literally, quote, to show by one's attitude or manner of treatment that an entity or person has no merit or worth. The Pharisee's attitude denies the value of the image of God and the tax collector that is nearby and other sinners. And I don't think I need to labor on this point necessarily. You're like, oh, Eric, you're showing me, telling me that some people treat other people badly. Thank you for that revelation this morning. All right. Um, uh, And I don't think I need to labor that point about why Christians, we shouldn't do that. We shouldn't treat others with, to despise them, treat others contempt. But there's, (laughs) but Darrell Davidson's commentary on this brings out an important point and touching on how uh, deceptive self-righteousness can be because we can respond and say, yes, I agree with this. I agree with this. I'm on the side of the tax collector and and, and I I, I can't stand Pharisees. I I hate Pharisees. I, I despise Pharisees. You're like, wait, hold on. Who do you despise? Who do you treat with contempt now? The Pharisees. So we can be self-righteous in our hatred of Pharisees. We can be self-righteous in our hatred of the self-righteous. That's how wonderfully self-deceptive and foolish self-righteousness can be. Our righteousness is not proven by despising the correct group of people, as so many think is the case today. As long as I hate the right group of people, I am a good person. I'm on the right side. We don't despise tax collectors and sinners. Sure. But who do we despise? Who do we treat as if they have no value in the sight of God? It is, you know, I was just, you know, you know, we have the whole like trans ideology, things like that. and Don't agree with any of it. OK. But I just saw I just saw that someone that was a, a, a male who transitioned to a female and it was on the cover of a flight attendant magazine, you know, celebrated all this stuff like that. Killed himself. OK. I don't have to support that to say that is a tragedy. And for my heart to break for that person. And for his family, right? To, I can still hate the ideology. I can push back against it. I can say this is a great evil and wickedness. It's doing lots of damage. But I don't need to despise people in order to do it. Does God authorize us to despise 
others. The Pharisee is doing all the right things externally. He's just missing one thing. Love. Love for God and love for his neighbor. And as the Apostle Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 13, that even if we possess all the gifts, if we do all the works, if we even give up our bodies as, as, as martyrs, as to be sacrificed and burned for the sake of the gospel, if we don't have love, then we are simply noisy gongs and clanging cymbals. And that's all that Pharisee is doing in the temple in Jesus' parable. It's a lot of clanging. And a lot of ringing of noisy gong. So we have to ask ourselves, how much clanging do we hear in the church? How much clanging do we hear in our own lives? In our own opinions and estimates of ourselves? This is serious business. Because Jesus shows us in this parable just what is at stake here if we are completely self-deceived. If we have a whole culture where self-righteousness is is the order of the day. And it is missing the gospel itself. It is being justified in the sight of God. And Jesus shows us that no amount of good works can justify us in God's sight now or ever. And so we move here from from the self-righteousness that deceives to the absolute dependence that redeems in verses 13 and 14. There's three things we need to see here. First, in the tax collector we see a humble honesty. A humble honesty with ourselves. The tax collector, we need to understand, is not noble. He is not a good man. You know, sometimes someone, because someone might get frustrated here at this point and respond and say, okay, well, well, so it doesn't matter how I live. I work really hard to be a moral person, to be a good person, to do the right thing. So I can just be immoral. I can just do what the tax collector does and just rip people off or whatever. Does it matter? No, that's not what it's saying. That's not what Jesus is saying either. The key here is that the tax collector knows who he is. He knows that he's not a good man. He declares clearly that there is something wrong with him. He is a sinner. And that's not a good thing. He has transgressed the law of God. He has defrauded his neighbor. He's done great evil in the sight of God. And there were arrogant tax collectors who trusted in their authority and power to rob their neighbors and, and, and console their consciousness by paying their conscience off with worldly comfort that they bought with their ill-gotten gains. Because they would collect taxes on behalf of the Roman Empire from their Jewish brothers and sisters. But they would say, okay, well, you gotta, you, you got, you know, the, the bill is $100, but you've got to pay $150, and they would pocket the 50 And the Romans didn't care as long as they got their money. So they didn't care how much it was. But by the conviction of the Spirit, this man has been brought to see his great evil in the, uh, before the Lord. He has a great sense of his unworthiness. He is in anguish over the evil of his sin. He knows exactly what he is. The Pharisee, however, does not. He doesn't see his own sin. The Pharisee is deluded into thinking that God enables him to be a good person and thus accepts him because he is a good person. Just look at my works. 
And so if we are to avoid the deception of self-righteousness, we must have an accurate picture of who we are as sinners. That, as Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, we are by nature, uh, we are by nature children of wrath, sons and daughters of disobedience, each of us preferring to go our own way. And it's possible for Christians to forget this. That for once, you know, we started out as the tax collectors rejoicing because we, we, were, we were brought in by the mercy of God. But over time, we became the self-satisfied Pharisee looking to our good works and going, yeah, that's, that's why God loves me, because I turned it around. I grabbed those bootstraps and I yanked hard and I became a good person. That's why God loves me. Now, God's people are sinners, but who have been declared saints, who he regards as saints, as holy, set apart for him. But our sainthood is not dependent, does not derive from our inner righteousness. It is, comes from the righteousness of Christ. Where God says, in my mercy, I'm going to treat you as if you are as pure as him. And so this brings us to a humble honesty about who we are. And that we have, we have joy and never a reason to boast in our own righteousness. That's what Paul says in Philippians 3, isn't it? He says, I've got more reason than anybody to boast in my works. But I, can, but I am ditching it all. Why? Because I need a righteousness that comes not by the law, but the righteousness that comes by faith in Christ. Because that is the only righteousness that will save. It's the only righteousness that will bring glory. And so we, we are brought from humble honesty to, to a definitive dependence upon the mercy of God. John Calvin wrote that every man that is puffed up with self-confidence carries on open war with God. To whom we cannot be reconciled by any other way than by a denial of ourselves. That is, by laying aside all confidence in our own virtue and righteousness. And relying upon his mercy alone. The only plea of the tax collector is the only plea that can redeem. God, be merciful. Not God, look to these good things that I did, but God, be merciful. I am a sinner. The mercy of God justifies His people now and forever. You know, a biblical picture of, of the healthy church when we think about the church and, the, and kind of what does a healthy church look like, often a biblical picture we come up with is, is a tree producing fruit. And, so, and that's, that's really helpful. And, and I think that's a good, accurate picture. The fruit would essentially be the good works that, that are being produced, fruit of the Spirit that are coming out, and, and, and that's, that's good. But the fruit is not why the tree is healthy. The fruit is evidence of health. For the fruit to produce... Uh, out of the tree, you need things that the tree cannot provide for itself. It needs sunlight. It needs uh, nourishing soil. It needs water. Likewise, it is the mercy of God apprehended by faith and the power of the Holy Spirit apart from our works that produces the spiritual fruit in the people of God. We do all the things that God has planned in advance for us to do. All the good works that He has planned, absolutely. But God does not accept us because of those good works. But He receives us because of His mercy alone. It is the mercy of God through and through. 
all the way into glory. And this brings us finally to the moral we need to memorize. Jesus reveals that the Pharisees' prayer that elevated his good works to the ground, as the grounds of his justification in sight of God is just self-exaltation. That's all it was. It was, just, it, was just, it was just prayer grandstanding. And we all know, we've been in, we've been in the prayer meetings when there, there's, a, there's a way to gossip in prayer, right? We all know that one. Uh, where he's like, well, I, I can't say this not in prayer or else it'll be gossip. But if I say it in prayer, it's authorized gossip, right? Um, so, oh, Lord, pray, pray for so-and-so because they're, they're alcoholism and blah, blah, blah. They don't want anybody to know. But you know, Lord, you know, and that kind of thing. It's like, okay, no, don't do that. But here's another version of it. There's no way to brag. He says, don't exalt yourself because of your good works. Because the, the, the Pharisee will be humbled in the end. Ultimately, if the Pharisee does look to his works alone, never trusting Christ, at the end of the day, he's going to see that he is standing on a foundation of sand and ash. And he's going to lose everything. As one commentator wrote, the Pharisee's trouble is not that, he's, that he is not far enough along on the road. It's that he is on the wrong road altogether. He is not on the narrow path. He is on the wide and broad path that leads to destruction. You know, Jesus says the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The one who knows who he is and humbles himself under God's hand, he will be exalted. But even there we have to be careful. Even there we have to be careful. So, um, I mentioned this on Wednesday night at our small group, uh, but, but before he died, Johnny Cash did, did a very strange thing. He did a cover of a song by the band Nine Inch Nails, uh, an alternative rock band that was known for very dark and tortured songs. And the song he covered was, was a song called Hurt, and which originally, when it was written by the, the lead singer of the band, Trent Reznor, was, uh, was a song uh, about uh, struggles with drug addiction. But Johnny, who was, uh, uh, was at first actually reluctant to cover the song, but his agent pressed him, said, this is going to be a really good song for you to do. And so he did, and he put his own spin on it. And here is the man who, who, who was one of the most famous and successful music artists ever, Johnny Cash. And he, and he published a video, music video that goes along with this. And, and, and this turned out to be the last song and video that he published before he died. And I'm going to give you the refrain of the song. What have I become, my sweetest friend? Everyone I know goes away in the end. You could have it all, my empire of dirt. I will let you down. I will make you hurt. Here is a man at the end of his life whose wife has died and who's looking back, and in the music video you can see there's broken golden records on the ground. It's it's just, a, and, and he's and he's pouring he's pouring wine out over this feast, this rotting feast, and says, "You can take it, you can have all this." And so here's a man who 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 do, he's no longer buying the, the the what fame and celebrity is selling, and 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 he's humbling himself. He he gets it. Isn't that what Jesus is talking about? Well, sort of. But then you come to the end of the song. If I could start again, a million miles away, I would keep myself. I would find a way.
And there it is. Self-righteousness comes back in. This determination to save ourselves by our own effort. If I could just get enough chances, if I could get enough, just far enough away from the mess I've made, if I could just have enough time to give enough effort, I would find a way to save myself. And Jesus says, no, it's not going to happen. The Bible says, the history of humanity says, Jesus says, our own lives reveal we cannot save ourselves. We won't find a way, at least not in us. But Jesus says there is a way to be justified. And remember, this parable is a warning that leads us to the hope of redemption. Because while there is no hope of salvation in our own righteousness, there is a certain redemption in the mercy of God. And so whether you're a Pharisee today or a tax collector, a self-righteous Presbyterian or a sleazy used car salesman, if you embrace the reality of your own sinfulness and turn to God for mercy, Jesus says, He will give it to you. He will justify you. He will pardon you and cleanse you of all your sins. Adopt you into His family. Promise you an inheritance that you don't deserve. And for those of us today who would say, I've done that. I am am a Christian. But who have forgotten His mercy. Who have begun to believe the lie that God may have saved me by His mercy uh, once, but now He only approves me because I behave and I do good things. May you be refreshed in the grace of God today, knowing that mercy alone is what saves you. Wherever we are at today, let us all humble ourselves before the Lord and lay everything upon His mercy to us in Jesus Christ. There in lies our justification. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your mercy and goodness. We thank You for Jesus. And we pray that, Lord, we, You would root out the self-righteousness that creeps in so easily, so quietly and so subtly. Lord, may you root it out. May you bring it before our eyes. Lord, may we abandon the ways of Pharisees. May we embrace the, the humility and the desperate, needy dependence of tax collectors and sinners as we lift up our hands in need because we come empty-handed to you. And may you fill us with your mercy and grace and goodness in your son, Jesus. We know that you will, for your son has promised, your word promises, and you will fulfill your gospel grace, gospel promises of grace. And we pray this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.